Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 180 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to get to a review left on Apple Podcasts. This review is from Jess Renee Harvey. Subject is Relatable Stories. Five stars, folks. Five stars. It says, I recently discovered this podcast and I can't get enough of it. I love how structured the questions are and how diverse the responses are. It's really reassuring to hear other designers' experiences in the industry. I like to play it in the background while I'm cooking dinner or plotting points in Illustrator. Jess Renee Harvey, thank you so much for leaving that review. I really appreciate it. More importantly, I want to know what is your sort of staple meals, your go-to meals while you're cooking dinner. Hit me up on Instagram and let me know. Now, today's guest, that's why we're all here. Today's guest is Tom Ross. He's the founder and CEO at Design Cuts, and he's also the host of the Honest Entrepreneur podcast out of Southern London in the UK. During this episode, we of course talk about his business, designcuts.com, and his journey to being the CEO of that business you know, from freelance and through all of the lessons he's learned there. We talk about him being creative at a very early age, and almost as soon as he was able to design or create, he was making money from it in some way, shape, or form. We talk about his intro into Photoshop way back in the day, lessons he's learned running his business. And uh, the most important piece that we really get into in this episode is the impact to his business and health that came from overworking, like significantly overworking and uh, having his sort of life balance completely out of skew. So um, that's an incredible story. He shares a lot of great detail with us there. Um, And it's both motivating and a great lesson for us all to take. You know, all of us who want to build something and create something, there's value in what he, what uh, Tom shares in this one. So let's get right to it, ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Mr. Tom Ross. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? I'm going to say good morning, Tom, because it's morning for me. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, sir. Thanks so much for having me on, Dave. I appreciate it. No, I'm glad to have you here. And uh, I have to ask because it is the Quickie Podcast. Are you ready for a Quickie? (laughs) I certainly am, man. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I always want to start with the tough stuff. So briefly tell the listeners about yourself, Tom. Sure. So I've been a creative, a designer, and an entrepreneur in some capacity since about the age of 12. I love this stuff. I feel like it's in my blood. Um, And literally from that early age, I started building websites, creating ventures, learning Photoshop or back then it was PaintShop Pro 
mm-hmm. like going to super old school. Um, <laughs> and I've just done a bunch of stuff over the years, kind of leading me to where I'm at today. I've I've flipped websites that I've built. I have um, taught. I've done client work. I had a, a pretty successful freelance career for years. Uh, I ran a, a large Photoshop blog, all these kinds of things over the years. And all of them, as I say, have led me to what I'm doing now, which is I'm the CEO at designcuts.com, which is my baby. It's this awesome community of half a million designers just finding the most incredible resources to save them time in their regular projects. But more than that, to be honest, like it is a community. Mm-hmm. We are not just another marketplace. Um, you know, we are a real hub of incredible, incredible, incredible people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people are what drive us. And outside of that, I've got the side hustle, which is helping as many creatives and creative entrepreneurs as I can. Um, so Dave, to be honest, I'm not very good at having much spare time. Very good at filling it. <laughs> good. Well, that's good to hear. And I like, I sort of put together the clever name where you got design cuts from, you know, with all the shortcuts. Is that where you pulled that from? I think originally it was, we cut like the time and the cost out of your regular design projects. Mm-hmm. Like we're kind of slashing all that stuff out because that's what really um, negatively impacts designers. I remember for years I was searching for the perfect font, but I was going through like 10,000 free fonts and downloading them and they wouldn't work right. And if I found a premium one, it would be super expensive and nearly like bankrupt me at the time it felt like. So, uh, you know, I was, I was excited with what we do to try and solve that, that problem for people. Oh, very cool. Um, now you had mentioned this a little bit in your intro here about having a creative childhood. Um, but before I dive back into that, I want to just get a little bit more of a timeline on how long you've been working on design cuts for, how long you were freelancing for, sort of what is the stages? Freelance, I started very early. I was about 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as I was learning design, I started making some kind of money from it. Awesome. Um, I, I started like literally design contests, you know, that whole thing. Um, at first, I didn't win any of them. And then I started winning like one in 10. And as I developed my skills and kind of learned what the clients wanted, I was winning about 50%. Wow. And as still quite a young teenager, you know, it wasn't a ton of money, but it would be like several hundred dollars at least per one. And I learned to work very, very fast. So as a teenager, I was like, hmm, there's some potential here, you know. And from there, I kind of transitioned to some clients some not very good ones, some not very nice ones. Perfect. To be honest, I, in fact, I want to take that back. Really, it was down to me. I, I did a podcast episode about this recently about how everyone's ragging on clients. And you know what? It was my fault. Like, yeah. I, di- I didn't have the correct contracts in place. I picked some of the wrong people. Really, it was on me, but I was more junior. I didn't have the experience. And then over a few years, I kind of leveled that up. I started charging more than I could imagine I'd been capable of previously and then I transitioned that into uh, launching design cuts and we're just over six years old so we turned six last October I don't know at what point you stop being a startup I always wonder that (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, I don't think you ever do like a kid now you know (laughs) yeah because when you think you've like crossed over that startup line there's got to be a next yeah where's the next growth spank it's you could look at it as a bunch of mini startups to get to where you want works for me perfect so now i want to dive back into that childhood because you started creative and like you said sort of freelancing um you know quote unquote freelancing pretty damn young so i want to dive into that childhood what was that like do you feel you had a creative childhood that led you in this career path or what flicked that switch for you i think i was always creative i mean literally from age three 
I remember being back at nursery, it's called in the UK, like that, that it's almost like a year of school before school. <laughs> um, and I would just love, you know, playing with the building blocks and like drawing stuff. And yeah. just from day dot, like that was my whole thing. And also I noticed, <clears throat> excuse me, I noticed I, um, I hated playing by the rules. Like I, I couldn't do coloring Same, yeah. books, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I found it super boring, like, you know, fill that in, something that had already been done by someone else. Mm-hmm. I could never do that. I always had to kind of just make up my own thing. And so I remember playing Mousetrap. You remember that board game? Yes, absolutely. I love that board game. I love it too. But even that, I would try and, like, invent my own uh, map. And that didn't work because these are, like, pretty fixed plastic pieces. Oh, which yeah, are designed to kind of certain board. order, right? <laughs> it, and it, it would never, like, properly work. But mm-hmm. even that, I was like, I have to kind of just make up something original i couldn't just go by the constraints of what existed so as i say from a super young age i was like i love creating stuff i love making stuff up um just creativity man i think it's the coolest thing in the world and the example i always give is the mona lisa so that is something that started as a blank canvas and da vinci saw that and created something out of nothing that changed the world and that's the same thing we do and it doesn't have to change the whole world it can change the world for just a few people but my company has now touched and impacted millions of people across the world and that started as just a glimmer of an idea one day and then blossomed into something and i just i love that about creativity and i love that about business that's what's so i was just gonna say that's so amazing and that's how it ties into business as well you know, that creative is not only from a visual standpoint, but it can touch any point of your life, any direction from relationships to businesses, like you said, creativity and exploring that. And from that early age, you know, you're essentially starting this creative career at the age of 12 or 13. Before that moment, 12 or 13, was there an aunt, an uncle, a parent, somebody who was already in the design industry that sort of showed you what could is possible or did you just come to that by yourself? I kind of came to it by myself, to be honest. Um, I wish more of my family and friends were creative or, mm-hmm. or were entrepreneurs. My dad runs his own business, but it's definitely not a creative kind of business. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, literally I just, I loved art class at school. I loved drawing. And the moment was I sat with my friend at 12 years old we sat around his super old school computer on the really uh, much earlier stage internet. I think nice. we had like a dial-up connection or whatever. Oh, the old dial-up when somebody phones yeah. it disconnects. <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah. one. Um, and he right-clicked on a web page, it dropped down with this menu, and he hit view source. And it spat out all the code that made the website. And I had no idea that existed. Yeah. I thought these website things just floated around magically. And he explained that people built them this whole coding language that looked like gibberish to me constructed these websites and that blew my mind i always say it's like Mm -hmm. the first time i saw the matrix it was insane and we started building websites together and so from there it was kind of like him and i learning together but it was a lot of self-education it was a lot of going on uh websites like SitePoint. I remember, and and many sites like that, just trying to learn as much as we could. And we're a couple of 12-year-old kids. It took me about two weeks to learn uh, HTML code, which was much simpler back then. You know, it was like tables, TRTD, all that kind of stuff. Um, (laughs) He he was and remains a genius. So at 
12 years old it took him two days to learn fluent html he's now like an incredibly senior uh developer out in the states running this big team and and he kind of went down that route you know when i accidentally hit that button in like google chrome where it brings up from the bottom all of the source code for the website i'm Mm -hmm. amazed by it every single time because it's just fascinating to me that all of this translates into the second or whatever language that mm-hmm. visually shows up so creative. Uh, yeah, and it is more creative, I think, than um, many designers and artists give it credit for. Because mm-hmm. when you see coders at the top of their game, it's like art to them. It's you know, they really express themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's shocking how amazing things can look by entering codes and symbols and things like that. And it's crazy how the entire thing can break because you have one character out of place. One. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so, John, throughout this creative career that started young, I want to know what is the most influential design of your life? Something that you saw and just has really stuck with you since? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I know early days, there was no one that springs to mind, but there was mm-hmm. a lot of copy, copying in those early days, not with regards to what I gave to clients, but no, I would sure. try, I'd try and reverse engineer it. And so, um, yeah, there would be a lot of like just little details. I was a web designer. And so there was a lot of websites that I would kind of follow and I just try and replicate their look and think, why doesn't mine look that good? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd be zooming in like to the pixel and using the eyedropper tool and being like, hold on, it's because that's a pixel thinner and that's a shade darker and that kind of thing. Um, when I got into the photo manipulation and that kind of thing, uh, I was a pretty big fan of James White, Mm -hmm. if you know him, um, I guess he was quite influential on a lot of the early Photoshop work I did, photo manipulation and, and Photoshop tutorials and that kind of stuff. Perfect. So Photoshop work and web design, that was really where you started to cut your teeth in the design industry. Yeah, so I, I bounced around a bit. I mean, I got pretty decent at doing photo manipulation mm-hmm. um, and compositing and, and, and that kind of thing. And web design was like really where the money uh, eventually came from and I got super experienced at conversions. So my, I, I felt like it was a, a magic power, but when I started working with bigger and better clients, um, th- they were often online entrepreneurs themselves. And I kind of niched down into serving online solopreneurs who were earning more than six figures a year. Mm-hmm. That was like my target demo. And I would redesign and rebrand their website and literally overnight, when we flicked it to the new design, without fail, they would earn between 50 to 100% more Jeez. each month. Just because I was like, well, that's not you know optimized to convert properly. That yeah. doesn't position it. That's not clear. Da, da, da. And that, for me, is like the power of design. It might not be the sexiest thing, but it kind of is. When, you know, it when is. suddenly you go from making like 10 grand a month to 20, and it's like, damn, like, you know, that does feel like magic. That does feel like magic, especially when... You know, for somebody who is looking at it from the outside, looking in without any design knowledge, like, well, you just moved some buttons and changed some colors and now I'm making double. It does seem like Mm. magic. It can seem like magic when there's so much more behind it. Yeah. And obviously it's not just the kind of repositioning of Of um, elements on the page. It's like the whole visual brand and and giving it that facelift. I don't know if you ever watched Queer Eye, the show. I haven't. No, I've heard so much about it, but I've never watched it. 
so it's really good and the interior designer that fronts up that side of things is called bobby mm-hmm. um and it's amazing and that's kind of how i think about these redesigns like he will go into this house that just looks like a wreck and then they walk in at the end and it's just been transformed into the most beautiful thing and it's like functional but also sleek and incredible looking and so I like being able to try and do that with design and with brand work. Yeah, my oldest um, loves watching home reno shows where they do mm-hmm. very similar things to that, where they go into a house and it's kind of like uh, not looking a bit iffy and they just transform it, typically under budget, but often over. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it looks amazing. And being able to have the ability um, to look at a website, to look at a brand and a person in their business and to be able to do that in your head on the design side, be able to say, see what this could look like. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an yeah, incredible I, skill. Yeah. It takes years to develop, obviously like any art form, but mm. uh, I just, yeah, I love developing that eye and it got to the point I did so many of them and um, I did all kinds of stuff. Like I was part of a entrepreneurial forum for years and that's where I got some great mentors um, in that regard. And I realized I was one of the few designers in that space. And so I started a thread and said, well, I've got this skill set. I'd love to help some people here for free. If you post your website, um, I will kind of audit it and do mm-hmm. like a very, very quick and dirty uh, redesign just to show you kind of how things should be positioned. And I think I did about 400 in this thread. Jeez. It went on to be like the most popular thread. And I think that was one of the early signs of like, I just really like helping people. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I like trying to bring that value. Um, I like the results it brings them. And that was kind of the start of it where some of these bigger people started approaching me and saying, hey, man, I like what you're doing here. I can tell you know what you're talking about. And they started hiring me from there. I'd end up getting referrals and so on. And it started to build. And that was just a classic example of like, you know, what, bring value, look out for people. And then karma kind of comes back in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Now, when you were looking for those solopreneurs, online business owners, six figures or more, where were you looking to find, where did you find those people? Was that strictly in that entrepreneurs group or forum that you were part of? Yeah. So to be honest, that was definitely one of the big catalysts Mm -hmm. and where a lot of it started. And from there referrals, man, like I love referrals. They are the best way. And I know many successful designers and freelancers, that's their lifeblood. Mm -hmm. They're not really out there pitching. Like, you know, I, I don't love pitching. I'll be straight up with you. I much prefer nurturing people I already have, treating them right, and then, you know, they kind of pass on on the good word. Perfect. Referrals, definitely. You can't beat that. The strength of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Tom, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow now? And what about them do you like? Oh, that's a great question. So I'm in a, um, I guess, quite a unique, niche right now because Mm -hmm. we work with a lot of people that develop digital products um i work with a lot of creative entrepreneurs so in terms of my immediate network and the people i immediately look up to Mm -hmm. they're the kind of ones that spring to mind rather than the like top of the industry ones that everyone's going to list they're my kind of day-to-day people where i just admire the shit out of them Mm -hmm. sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to curse but you're you're left (laughs) okay appreciate it (laughs) yeah perfect so um yeah name a couple of these guys here yeah, sure. So like, um, I've got my three co-hosts on one of my podcasts, um, Ian Barnard, Lisa Glanz, and Dustin Lee. They're all super talented. Scotty Russell over mm-hmm. at Perspective Collective. He's an awesome dude. Um, Tila Cunningham. I think she's an incredible, um, female entrepreneur at every Tuesday. 
Peggy Dean, Elizabeth Gray, um, there's Stefan Kunz, Dina Rodriguez. I think she's such a badass. Love her whole brand and how like unabashed she is about being herself. I think the world needs more of that. I love that. There's a lot of cool people out there. <laughs> Definitely is a lot of cool people. What I loved about your perspective is tying in that entrepreneurship to them. And, um, you know, not just on the design and creative side and the proper visuals and showing up, but the entrepreneurship side of it. So that's exciting to me. A hundred percent. And actually, I, I can't um, give you that list without also saying Mike Janda, who I'm dropping a new podcast with uh, this month. Oh, cool. But he, yeah, he was super successful with his agency. Um, I really like what Christo is doing as well. Had the opportunity to collab with him quite a bit in the last year. And I like where his head's at and what he's doing with the future. That's really cool. Yeah, definitely a name that comes up a fair amount with that, Christo. Mm -hmm. Guy who works hard, knows what he's doing. Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, Tom, I want to talk a little bit about print and packaging design. Now, I'm interested to approach this question with you because you have more of the um, sort of a web background. Um, but I want to hear your experience with print and packaging design and any specific projects that stand out to you or even experiences you've had with something in print that were really good. Yeah, so I, I think it's important to be very honest with this kind of thing. I'm definitely more on the web and digital side. I've mm -hmm. done very, very uh, limited print. And with design in general, um, it's been years since I was a full-on designer. Now I just get to do it for fun. So mm -hmm. truthfully, the last print thing I did was my wedding invite <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the Christmas break. Um, I try and fit design into my personal life where I can because mm -hmm. my day job is CEO of my company. I don't really get to do design work we have a design team here now but back in the day as i say it was pretty limited um i think there might have been like a pretty low budget magazine spread and stuff like um website uh, mm. uh, restaurant menus and that kind of thing that was like the early stage print work but all of that was much earlier in my career that was the lower paid stuff mm. it was only when i transitioned into this more web design approach and and the kind of higher value clients and the digital work that's where my career kind of took off a bit more mm. so as the creative entrepreneur though have you had an experience with something that was printed whether it be packaging whether it be printed book or something like that that you enjoyed the experience with yeah, I've got I've got a random one. This is the first one that springs to mind. Um, I'm a huge fan of trying to do things differently, okay, and trying to stand out and just not blend in with the crowd. So, we uh, we were one of the sponsors of Weapons of Mass Creation uh, conference that Go Media host, and this was a few years ago. And I thought, you know what? I hate when people are lazy with their sponsorship dollars. I hate when they just throw thousands at something just to get a giant logo behind the speakers. But, you know, it's not very creative. It might not convert that well. Mm -hmm. So I thought with our limited budget back then, what could we do to stand out and Love pique it. people's interest? And so we did this big print project where we printed like gold leaf tickets mm -hmm. um, and we put them inside a gift bag, which then sat on every single seat for every attendee and on the gold ticket we went very like charlie and the chocolate factory with it and so it was like go to the secret url to claim this like free prize and we sent them down this rabbit hole to do that and it converted extremely well because the gold ticket stood out from everything else they were given away mm -hmm. um that day it was a fun interactive experience it started people off on the right footing with us and like a delightful experience um with their first thing they did at design cuts and so 
yeah, that was quite a fun um, print project that springs to mind. That's incredible. I'm glad I dug into that one because <laughs> that's a great <laughs> one. And it's a perfect example of how, you know, when you're looking at dollars wise, print doesn't always have to be absorbently expensive and produce this massive thing. You can produce something as simple as a golden ticket that leads somebody down a URL to convert to where you want them to convert on the business side. Yeah, I hate to think of the trillions that are wasted in industries by laziness, Mm -hmm. by not bothering to go the extra mile or think outside the box, because a lot of our results come from just that bit of extra effort rather than extra dollars. Definitely. No, I hear you there. All right, Tom, I'm sorry to do this, but I have to get into some of the tough questions about uh, challenges you've experienced in your career. Um, So the next couple of questions take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those stories out of you. So what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was that period of time challenging and how'd you get through it? Yeah, so to be honest, I love talking about this stuff. I think it's very important to share. My whole brand is honesty and vulnerability. So very comfortable uh, (laughs) chatting about this stuff. The toughest time of my career and subsequently life was about a year after getting my company off the ground. Mm -hmm. And I'd been working 18 hour days to get it off the ground, seven days a week. So over a hundred hours a week, just barely sleeping, nothing but working constantly. It was insane. And so after about 18 months of that, the company had taken off like a rocket. You know, it was the most exciting time of my life. And I felt like Superman. I was like, I can do anything. It was just pure like <laughs> adrenaline at the time. Yeah. Um, I loved every second of it. But then people kept giving me these red flags of like, if you keep going like this, you're going to break and you've got to slow down. And I was like, no, I don't need to listen to you. That's for other people. I, you know, I'm on top of the world. I'm different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, um, and sure enough, I, I started to break. And so I started to get sick and and burn out and get physically sick and I got sicker and sicker and sicker Mm -hmm. and it got really bad so I would be driving to work and I developed this thing where every morning for about two hours I would be vomiting into the toilet oh my gosh and then I'd have to pick myself up and go into work late and that was every day for months and it would happen where I'd I'd do that I'd be driving to work and suddenly I'd have to be sick again so I'd have to like screech the car over in the middle of traffic and be sick in the road and all this kind of stuff and it was pretty nasty and eventually it turned out that I'd made myself so sick I needed uh, major stomach surgery oh my god and so I ended up in hospital having the surgery Um, that seemed to go well um, but then on the back of it uh, I became chronically ill for two years and at points, you know, I was like bed bound. I was on a liquid diet for a bit. Um, I could barely stand up. I literally looked like an 80 year old man. Like I lost so much weight. I lost like all muscle mass, like all this kind of thing. It was terrible. I'd, I'd eat and be in like horrendous agony, like, oh. cold, like screaming, that kind of stuff. And the whole time I was still running my company because otherwise like all our staff would lose their jobs, all the hundreds of designers who are living with us, um, that would dry up. And everything that I'd killed myself building and working towards would go away. 
And so I had to keep it going. And even though I was definitely not fit to work, I was trying to hold this team together, hold a culture together and keep the company going forwards. Um, and things were still insanely busy. And so that forced me to scale out and hire more people and get some help. But it was the toughest time of my life. And for the longest mm-hmm. time, I didn't know if I'd ever be better again. And that was so terrifying. I thought, oh, my God, I've ruined the rest of my life just to grow a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was it, man, like hands down. So you're six years into design cuts. So mm-hmm. basically for the first half of the business's life, you were yeah. incredibly ill and putting yourself through agony to build this. Yeah, pretty much. And like the health thing has just been like a gradual improvement. It's like mm-hmm. I'm still seeing some doctors now to kind of come out the tail end of it. But thankfully, I'm I'm nearly there. I'm doing much better. But I mean, it, it's been literally like half a decade just kind of wiped out by by doing this. Oh, my gosh, Tom, that's wild. It, it, yeah, it is. Like when I hear <laughs> any successful entrepreneur I know, um, mm-hmm. especially the ones that like much higher levels than what I'm doing. When you listen to some of the sacrifices, like there's always that sacrifice. And, you know, I'm very actively speaking out against this now. Like, don't burn yourself out, prioritize your health, that kind of thing. But I kind of can't get past the fact that I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if I hadn't sacrificed so much. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what it took in that first year. Crazy. Okay, so I need to ask then, what, out of that experience, what lessons did you learn that you now put into your daily practice? Yeah, there's two main ones. So the first one is you can't do it all yourself, Mm -hmm. especially if you're trying to scale to a certain level. And I was the classic case where I hadn't really uh, grown or managed a large team before. And so I was just doing 15 people's jobs for the longest time. Mm -hmm. I thought no one could do it better than me. I didn't want to relinquish that control. Um, And and that was really dumb. Um, But hindsight's a wonderful thing and experience only comes with time, right? So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that that was a big one. Uh, And now I'm much better at delegating and scaling out and um, letting go and letting the team handle things. Mm -hmm. The other one is that prioritizing of health. And so I've got something now, which is like my little 10 point checklist of things I have to do every single day. Um, and if I follow that, my health's okay. So it's like, I have to get eight hours sleep. I have to not work more than like 13 hours. Mm-hmm. I have to drink enough water. I have to actually stop and eat lunch, all these types of things. Um, and as I say, if I stick to that list, I'm okay. Um, but there's certainly been weeks, even in like the last year where you get so busy, it's like, oh damn, I haven't had lunch until 5 p.m., um, you know, I'm barely sleeping. You get so swept up in it so easily. And so that list is literally like my kind of 10 commandments, if you will, like you know, I have to <laughs> yeah. follow them. the day is not over until they're all checked. Yeah, seriously. And, and I personally need that. And I mm-hmm. think, um, I think that structure is something most of us need as humans, right? Because otherwise we just have a vague ephemeral intent. Mm-hmm. Like right now we're talking in, in January and everyone's got these resolutions and it's like, yeah, but you don't have the systems and the structure in place to actually execute them. Mm-hmm. They're just a, a vague hope. So I can have the vague hope of like, I don't want to get burnt out, but it, then it kept happening. So I was like, I need something I can actually stick to and abide yeah. by. 
Yep. And that's, you know, that is actually my focus for this next year for myself is looking after myself because, you know, having raising kids and, um, you know, really growing um, my day job and where that's going, really growing the podcast and putting energy into all of this stuff. My wife has sort of been showing me, been setting the example of looking after herself really well. And now I'm going, I need to do the same thing. I need to focus mm-hmm. on that. Otherwise, it's going to be even harder to grow and do the things that I want to accomplish. So that's uh, that's good hearing that. Yeah, everything stems from that. So it's great to hear that as well, that that's a focus for you. You know, that will define how good you're going to be as an entrepreneur, as a creative and as a dad. Because if you're a, you know, a physical wreck with your health, you won't be able to do those things. Nope. And I'm only a couple of weeks into it, starting to pay more attention to it. Um, but even just the few changes I've made in the last couple of weeks, the clarity that I've got from that, it's incredible. Something I wouldn't, I didn't even anticipate. It's great to hear. So I want to dive a little bit deeper now, Tom. I want to talk about a specific design or a specific project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. I want to know what that <laughs> was like. How did that feel? Take us to that story. Oh, man. Um Okay, so I mean, there's been a bunch, especially <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> especially early on. Can this be like personal projects and or it client personal, projects? It could be client, whatever you want, wherever you want to take it. Okay, so I guess this is not this is not just design focused, but one of the more recent ones that springs to mind is we had a, a message board and a, and a forum. Uh, design cuts mm-hmm. and it didn't pan out how we thought it would so we invested all this time we built it out we've got a pretty expensive system in place we custom designed it all and we poured a, a ton of time into it but i feel like we hadn't properly thought it through we didn't properly validate it and despite our best intentions it ended up with a very engaged but very very small group of users um and they were kind of duplicating what they were doing in our Facebook group anyway. So mm-hmm. it, it became untenable. We we couldn't afford to keep having a dedicated staff member when it was such a small group in there using it. And we thought it would be more widespread. And so we had to pivot and adjust and unfortunately drop the forum. And we found out why things like our Facebook group were actually much more active and a better fit and so on and perhaps le- had less uh, user friction. But there have been so many cases like that with design cuts and personal projects. Um, and I think you have to not be afraid to pivot. People get so fixed and so down and so like emotional about it. It's like, I didn't take that personally. I just thought, okay, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. We need to move on. Um, and that's something I'm learning to do quicker and quicker and quicker. Like I just did this with uh, my personal podcast. I was like, mm, I'm not so sure about this format anymore. So I'm going to take it in this direction. And I debated it for about two seconds and now I'm doing it. And And I just think, for years, I would be so slow to react. I just kind of fall into the habit of like, let's just keep pushing through with this. And mm-hmm. I think there's nothing wrong with recognizing, you know what, this probably should be different, or it's okay to stop doing this now. Definitely. No, that's a great one. And I've, you know, feeling that in my own projects as well. And you know, it's so weird about the new year and that whole transition that sort of is that scheduled annual reflection time when really you could do it at any point during the year. But that new year causes you to look at that. So through this last couple of days here, really looked at what I'm doing, what I feel is working, what I want to change and and making changes. So you're totally right. Pivot. Don't be afraid to pivot. 
Absolutely. And something, um, I mean, this might not be a resolution of mine, but it's something I've become really aware of in the last year. You can't add something, whether it be a to-do list item or a project or a venture without removing something. Because otherwise you just keep adding and adding. And that tends to be our (laughs) tendency, right? It's like, okay, so I'm posting here and I'm producing this and I'm making this and now I'm going to do this and that's working. So I'm going to add this as well to expand. And we just keep adding and adding and adding. And before you know it, you've created a monster Mm -hmm. and you need to look at that and be like, hmm, okay, I need to audit this thing. I need to strip some stuff out. And what you find is every bit you take out invariably should be taken out. It's actually not going to be detrimental to do so. Mm -hmm. And everything. Every time you take one of these things out, it feels like the weight of the world is lifting slowly off your shoulders piece by piece. It's like, ah, oh, I can breathe. I've just freed up those hours again. You know, yeah. I've alleviated that stress. And it's something I really recommend people do. It's almost a, you know, a true life example of the, I think it's the Pareto principle. I'm probably mm-hmm. butchering yep. the name, the 80-20 <laughs> rule. Most people yep. know it by. But the same thing where, you know, being able to cut a lot of things that just aren't working aren't bringing you value even though from the outside it looks like oh, i can't stop doing those 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 and those things i can't stop doing them but then when you do you oh there's not a lot has changed yeah Except i have a whole bunch more free time absolutely and this, this is something i do um personally but i do it executionally with my company as well mm-hmm. and the number of times we've got everything on a whiteboard and literally like put crosses through it and we're like holy crap we just saved ourselves a bunch of time stress and money and nothing blew up in our face. Like, it's <laughs> fine. Incredible. If anything, it lets us reallocate that focus to the yeah. stuff that is impactful and that people will care about. Very cool. Um, do you have anything on the client side from websites that you've worked on or digital launches that you were a part of or anything like that that didn't quite go as planned that you could share? Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, there's always like some stuff that crops up. I'm very thankful that in more recent years, mm-hmm. things have been going well. So perhaps not with the forum example, but in general, I'm building up quite a healthy track record of consistent results, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty proud of. But in the early days, I launched like a membership site, for example, and it was the classic thing where I built it up so much in my head. And then I was there refreshing the page and I'm like, oh, no one cares. No one came. <laughs> and I think I had like one person sign up in the first two days or something. And it was yeah. like, oh, okay, I got this wrong. And, you know, there were hundreds, if not thousands of those moments throughout my career where you think it's going to be something and it's not. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. That's how you get experience. That's mm-hmm. how you, you learn, you know, it's tough and I have to figure this thing out. And if it was easy, everyone would do it. Totally. And I, I think, like I just I believe in paying your dues with that stuff I'm so grateful for those thousands of times that I failed in big ways and little ways like you know I've had some huge screw-ups I've been screwed out of businesses and ventures I've been incredibly badly burnt uh clients haven't paid me like there is always a learning opportunity right a client doesn't pay you great now you learn how to take some money up front and have more watertight contracts and agree the terms and pick better clients like mm-hmm. there's always takeaways definitely there's always lessons um from the challenges there's always things that help you grow from the challenges mm-hmm. um all right tom i'm going to turn this bus around for you I want to hear about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. It's got to be my company right now. 
you know, I've referred to it a few times as my baby right mm-hmm. now. And I'm so proud of it. And when we get new people join and I give them like a bit of a history about the company, um, I think the thing I'm most proud of is the lives it's it's touched Mm -hmm. with the designers that sell through us because we have people where we literally support them financially. We've helped pay for people's kids to go to college. We've had people where their house was going through foreclosure and we've literally saved their family home. Like that's that's the stuff where it's like, yeah, like that's, that is like we are having a real impact on people's actual lives rather than we're some faceless website that's just this kind of transactional platform you know that's not how we do things we like to be very human Mm -hmm. and nothing is more human than when you jump on a call with someone and they're crying tears of joy because you've just sent them money that's going to change their life like that's the best freaking feeling in the world incredible yeah. Oh, that would feel so good. <laughs> I love that, Tom. Um, are you able or comfortable to share any sort of like employee numbers, revenue numbers for the business, anything like that? Uh, so we don't tend to share revenue numbers, mm-hmm. but I, I think the team size probably gives a decent indication. So we're 20 people on the team. Terrific. Right now. And over, have you slowly brought those people in over the six years or you really just started adding employees in the last couple of years has that sort of been that growth trajectory uh i think it's been more slow and steady to Mm -hmm. be honest and well i say that like literally (laughs) this is so ridiculous like given how successful our first year was we didn't hire for the first 10 months Mm -hmm. and and even then uh they were part-time which was a joke. By that point, we should have had like three to four employees. Um, <laughs> and, and this is what I mean about me being a control freak back yeah. then. I was I have to do it all. <laughs> so um, yeah, like it's um, it's slow, it started slow, but mm-hmm. we've got better and better at hiring out. And um, I, I'm a firm believer in like, you need to hire very intentionally. I don't think the answer is just chucking people at a solution. Mm-hmm. Often you can actually adjust and get things more efficient and kind of get more out of the team you have. But the team are incredible now. Like it sounds cliche. There is that real family feel. They are all super nice. There's not a single weak link. They're all incredible people. But that didn't happen overnight either. Mm-hmm. That's been a learning curve. You know, I had to get better at interviewing and selecting people. And I feel like we have really got that down now. We've got a great process, like a multi-part process that people go through. And it really gives us insight like into their character, not just their aptitude and mm-hmm. I had to get better at firing people. You know, that's something people don't like to talk about. It's definitely one of the worst parts of the job. But equally, I feel much more confident now that I can turn around pretty immediately after someone joins and be like, you know what, I'm sorry, but I don't think you're the right fit because I don't like how you're being with the team and we can't have that here. Mm -hmm. And I'm very happy to be firm on that stuff because we're super protective of the the culture Mm -hmm. um, that we've built. And so I, I just think that kind of ha- has to get held up above everything. If you have the right values and the right culture, I think that stuff has more longevity than just like chasing the profit margin of the next quarter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, so true. Thank you for sharing some of that. Um, well, Tom, you've made it to the point of the show for the ask it forward question, my friend. That's where <laughs> I have a question. Yeah, <laughs> you should be. No, I'm just kidding. It's an easy one. Um, yeah. Well, maybe not an easy one, but it's a good one. So I have a question for you for my last guest, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. So my last guest was Israel Parkas. He's the owner of Vanquish Design out of California. And he wanted to ask you, if you could have any actor 
or actress play you in your life's movie? Who would that be, Tom? Oh, damn. Um, I don't know if he would be the best fit necessarily. And also he's unfortunately uh, no longer with us. But I've been watching a lot of films and remembering how much I love him as an actor. Alan Rickman. Oh, yeah. That, guy, that guy's a dude. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, if. Yeah, if only. No, that's a good one. I like it. Mm. Yeah, Tom, no, he's great. <laughs> what's the question you would like me to ask the next guest? Oh, it's not It's not nearly as fun as that. But um, I talked earlier how I love kind of standing out and being different and disruptive mm-hmm. in our industry. And so I have to ask the next guest, what is one key way that they differentiate and do things a little bit different in their space. I love it. Tom, I'm going to ask the next guest that question. You've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast, man. Thank you so much for your time and being my guest today. That was so much fun. Thanks, Dave. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of episode 180. Thank you so much for listening today. Mr. Tom Ross really brought it home. Thank you, Tom, for being my guest today. If you liked what you heard here on the Quickie Podcast, if you're digging what we have cooking, head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Please leave a rating and a review for the show. I'd really appreciate it. It helps more creatives find the show. And that is awesome. So thank you. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.